Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Life in Private Staffing once again. We are returning to Saudi Arabia in this episode. As you all know, we do a huge amount of work in Saudi. We're a massive advocate for the country. It's such an underrated place. People just don't know how cool this place is, whether you're there on holiday or whether you're there to do work. So I just feel like every now and then I like to bring people on the podcast that have experienced this firsthand and think I'm sort of share their stories. So um, we've got a couple of different guests on today. And um, we've actually got a renowned international DJ, very cool, lady called Sally, who has worked around the world um, and most recently in Jeddah. Um, so really, really keen to hear from her about her experience there working with the DJ and how she found the place, how welcome she was made to feel, uh, what can people expect if they were to go also, etc. And then we have Karina, who is a returning guest. She's been on before. She's an absolute specialist in Saudi Arabia, lives and breathes the country. And then her on once again with some of her top tips and bits of advice. So lots to get on with in the show. As always, before we start, just a quick mention for our fabulous sponsor, Kelly Dixon at Estate Management Systems, who has a bespoke one-stop shop project management tool for anyone managing a home. So whether you're a PA or a house manager, etc., one app, one place, one platform to manage all aspects of the house for you. So if you haven't checked it out, please do. There's a discount in place of 25% if you use the code Life in Private Staffing 25. So then on with the show. Hi Karina, welcome back. This is your second appearance on the podcast, I think. Second or third, I can't remember now. Second, second. Yeah. I'm very excited. Thank you well, for having me back. No, you're welcome. Well, I was, I was thinking, right, let's do a Saudi special podcast. Who likes talking about Saudi? I was like, Karina likes talking about Saudi. We have some wicked conversations about Saudi. And we've not spoke for a little while. So here we are. Good opportunity to catch up and bring someone in who knows more than anyone else I know about Saudi. It's been a huge part of your life, a huge part of your career, really, hasn't it? So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about you and what it is that sort of you do work-wise? Yeah, totally, totally. So I'm uh, Karina. My company is called StarCat and basically it's five-star consulting and training for the Middle East. And um, we help professionals to be confident and successful in the Gulf region. And quite often, I think, you know, we find that if people are thinking of applying for a job because they've just got this really amazing opportunity and you want to impress your recruiter or your employer, that's really where we can help and give you a lot of the knowledge for the Middle East, but also like to make you confident to feel like this is the right opportunity for you because, you know, our culture is so different to the Arabic culture. And sometimes you just need somebody just to help you to bring it all together and see that it can actually work. Yeah. I think the confidence piece is such a, an important part of it as well, because you can secure the job based on your sort of capabilities to do the job, but you don't then want to get out there and feel if you don't feel confident in the in your environment, you're not going to be able to excel in your role because you're always going to feel on the back foot. So it's nice to sort of go out there feeling knowledgeable and it must be really appreciated, I think, by the locals when someone comes in that's clearly done a bit of research and understands their way of life. Definitely. And I think, you know, and I'm sure you have seen that as well. I mean, I have seen that with the people I have worked with because my background is obviously in hospitality and um, people are just so misunderstood, I think, sometimes in the West. And it really annoys me when people just make assumptions about what people from, for example, Saudi or Qatar or wherever, what they are like and what their life is like when they haven't actually met anyone and they meet somebody the first time and they say, oh, but you're a woman and you're oppressed. And I'm like, hello, it's really not like that, you know? 
exactly. How did you get into it then? Where did it start for you, your sort of like love for the Middle East? Basically, I started working in like luxury hotels and I had a really great mentor and um, I became his sort of like, you know, right hand person. And and then I learned everything. And it's it's really weird. My sort of like German heritage really gelled with the Middle East, which normally is not a given. So um, I just loved it. And I just also loved like how incredible and hospitable the people really were, you know, and how they really let you in. And it was just really nice because it was so different from what I was used to. Mm. And you obviously have been there a lot yourself in person. Yes. And I've actually, I've had a couple of trips uh, since sort of like COVID, sort of at the end of COVID, the end of last year and this year as well. So I've really seen how things really have changed and they have changed like, oh my God, like incredible. Just over COVID or do you mean over the years? I mean, obviously what it was like pre-COVID is very different to what it's like now. I mean, I'm sure you remember pre-COVID, it was quite difficult to get like a visa and tourist visas weren't even a thing. And like now you get your visa within like, what, two minutes? I mm. mean, it's amazing. So I think this is just sort of like the first little step. But then also if you see all the different things that have been happening in the kingdom and how much they're pushing tourism and quite rightly so, because, you know, there's so many great things that um, that you can look at. Yeah, nice. You've obviously been fairly recently. Are they as far as we are in terms of coming out of the pandemic, or are they still sort of like wearing masks and isolating or are they relaxed like we are? I think Saudi is actually quite relaxed. It's not like this everywhere in the Middle East. Uh, some of the places that you go in the Middle East are a lot stricter. So for example, I think out of all the places I've been since COVID sort of kind of stopped, I think the strictest I would say was Qatar. I think mm. the most open I would say is probably Dubai and Saudi. Yeah, we found out sadly because we we recruited right through the pandemic and managed to sort of like the minute restrictions lifted a bit, we managed to get people in and stuff. But then we've gone from like quarantining for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, even people quarantining for and bubbles everywhere. Like the logistics out there, how the guys out there managed it, managing properties of 700 staff, people coming and going, but doing it very strictly um, and everyone getting extra boosts when they get there. Going from that to now where people just uh, literally just like it was before, really, making sure they're fully vaccinated, getting a medical, and then they go. So it makes our life easier, thank God. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a lot easier now. And I think interestingly, and I, I think obviously you touched on this when you said you recruited throughout the pandemic, I think the projects kept going during the pandemic, even though they had, let's say, the borders closed for about a year. Mm. Within the country, I think they were still moving. And you can see on some of the things that you can see now, how much mm. they progressed and how much they were working on it, even, you yeah. know during COVID. And ultimately, ultra-high net worth in Saudi still need looking after. They still need staff, um, whether yeah. in pandemic or not, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. That's, always, cool. that's always the way, yeah. It, so for today, you put together a bit of a list of things that things people might not know about Saudi, which I am fascinated to hear because I know a couple of things that's on the horizon for the country that we're really excited about. And it's just stuff that people don't know. So I think this is like really, really like interesting things for us to be talking about. So shall I sort of hand over to you? What's some of the sort of stuff that you sort of want to tell us all about? Sure. Well, I have, yeah, I have about five things. So I'll just run through them and then I think we can talk about it afterwards. Yeah. I think number one for me is hospitality. It's really like nowhere else. And people go out of their way to help you. And I'm not just talking about like the high net worth space. So like 
we did a trip in February. And of course, like, like good tourists, we thought, oh, let's go to like Riyadh Boulevard. And we had no clue that you had to pre-book tickets because obviously we hadn't looked into it. So we got there and then the security was like, no, you know, girls, you have to book tickets. And we were like, oh, okay, that's awkward. And, and he was so nice to try and help us to get in. And that to me already you know, mm. spent so much. Like he didn't know him, we didn't know him, but it was it was just like so lovely. And then of course, you know, I think a lot of people have also experienced once you go out there and you meet some of the locals. I mean, it's not uncommon that people invite you to their home for like a meal when mm. you get to know the real Saudi. And I keep saying to Didi, who works with me, I said, you know, this would never happen in Germany. I mean, like you would not yeah. really invite somebody to, to your home. So that to me sort of is the essence of the whole country kind of, you know, Middle Eastern culture. And I think, so hospitality for me is is one. I think number two for me is that you don't really get hustled in Saudi like you do in like Morocco or Egypt when people try and sell you stuff where they're like, oh, come and have this souvenir or get like a, a discount here. This doesn't really happen in Saudi. Everyone is really friendly, but it's not really so overbearing. So I think that's a big plus for tourism. That's so good because I hate that. And like, it makes you so uncomfortable. We had this thing, um, I was, went traveling, but the side thing, me and my husband, before he was my husband, went traveling to like a round the world trip where we were young. We'd just finished uni, finished the ski season. So we were like 21 and Africa was our first country, like Kenya, like how hardcore is that? Because like, we were like so like green, so fresh. And yeah, the very first shop we went into, this like teeny little, this teeny little blonde girl and, and Ben, like a tacky little crappy souvenir shop walking around and like I felt intimidated immediately because they basically shut the door um, and he comes over he's like you like you like you like you like about everything and then he basically like waved around this like crappy little bracelet um, and, we, and we stupidly said you, what you shouldn't say is how much is that because the minute you say how much is that they think you're interested in buying it and he named a price and Ben very quickly worked out that was 35 pounds for this absolute piece of crap, must be about 35p. So we immediately went, ah, no, 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 very quickly reduced it to like two pounds. And we're like, no, 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 no. And then we went to leave and he literally like blocked, he said, he, he didn't let us out basically. I never felt more intimidated. We ended up buying this bracelet for about whatever the final price was and left. But he got like, it got really aggressive, really quickly, really, oh, it was just hard. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I left and I was like, oh my God, this is like day one in my 365 day trip around the world. Like I've, I've underestimated this. It's like, like I immediately felt so shook up when I went back to my hotel or hostel, whatever. And it can really, really make or break a trip. And then obviously you get a bit older and I've been to Marrakesh since then. And, and you still get it to the point where, but now you have the confidence to be like, no, go away, no, go away. And I have confidence to push people off you, walk out. But it's still not a nice experience. And like, maybe it's just because we're British and we feel a bit awkward about it all and we feel bad. But to know that that doesn't happen just makes you, you can walk the streets way more freely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really nice, you know, like if you're a woman and everything, it just makes you feel so much more comfortable. So yeah, so there we go. That's good to know. Yeah. So then my third point is actually that it's such a treasure trove, you know, and it was so, it, a lot of the things they have there were hidden for so long that even a lot of my Saudi friends said, oh, we haven't been to this place and we've lived here all our life. So it's really only quite right that they're opening it up for, um, for tourism. And, and a lot of the things are very like unspoiled and untouched. And it's, it's this sort of like really pure experience that you can't really find in a lot of other places, mm. which actually leads me on to my point 
point number four, which is then talking about some of these projects. So one of the ones is obviously the Red Sea project, which is, you know, one of these sort of really beautiful coastlines and, and they're building these uh, resorts and these villas by the Red Sea. But what is the difference to, for example, like the Maldives or like the place in Egypt? It's that it's, Exactly. Like I said before, it's untouched and like there hasn't been any tourism there. So all the coral reefs are still intact. You know, all the nature is still intact. And, and I've listened a lot to the people that are working on this, um, project. And a lot of it for them is also to, you know, how can we make this work to preserve this for generations to come? And I actually think that's a beautiful thing because, you know, then it's going to be there for like a lot longer and you want to sort of, you know, now there's so much focus on sustainability and looking after the nature. Mm. So I think that's actually really cool. And then, of course, you have like Al-Ula, which is for anyone who's ever been to like Petra and Jordan, which to me, like I loved. I mean, like Al-Ula is just amazing. And again, lots of Saudis haven't even been there. I'm you know? dying to go to Al-Ula. It's so expensive, though. Yeah. Know, it's so expensive, like flights, because we were looking to hopefully go sort of meet a client there. And I'm like, and he was like, I'm, I might be there, I might not. And I was like, right, when you know you are, I'll come because it's a long yeah. way for you to go. But that, like, that's being talked about quite a lot at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, like, it's sort of like, dare I say it, the Instagrammer's dream, I think. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. And then, of course, you also have all the history. And I think if you look at the history, you also have to talk about the uh, Daria project in Riyadh that they're developing. And and we haven't even talked about Neom. I mean, like, there's so many, many things. It's mm. just really amazing. And of course, a lot of people could then say, ah, but you know, without entertainment, it's really quite boring, which is my point number five, because there is a lot of entertainment and it's very different to what it was, you know, to pre like 2017, 2018, I would say. So like now you have that big festival called Middle Beast, where they fly in all these famous DJs in the desert. And one of my friends actually worked on this and she was like, this was just incredible. And then, of course, you have all the sports. So you have like the Formula One, which happened in Jeddah already twice. It was in December and in March. And I actually went to the to the one in uh, December. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was so good. And they even said, obviously, the track is very challenging for the drivers. It was also quite exciting, I think, for a lot of sort of diehard fans. And then I think they're bringing back Dakar next year if you're a racing fan. But then, of course, you can also just look to Riyadh. And if you look at what they're doing with Riyadh Season and Riyadh Boulevard, where you have like these amazing fountains that you can find in Vegas and Dubai, you can now find them also in Saudi, probably bigger, better. Mm. I would say, you know, they have like lots of restaurants and it's interesting because they also focusing a lot on like local entrepreneurs and local food and things like that. And also local art. I mean, the art stuff mm. was really amazing. I found one of these guys and he's called um, Faisal Al-Kijeri. I think he's on Instagram and he's almost like the Arabian Picasso. I mean, his artwork yeah. really reminds me of Picasso a lot, just with an Arabian twist. So really to me, there's just such a lot of things you can see that people just know about you know yeah and we sort of talk to staff who sort of go there they're like well so I'm just going to work and and I was like well you obviously go there get your head down work if you want but there is loads of stuff to do and you do have time off and you can go out and about you can go out and about on your own like it's absolutely fine let's touch on Neom because obviously um we know a fair bit about it but people listening might not like give us an overview of Neom as you see it 
Well, I think Neom, I think, I mean, it's such a massive, massive project, isn't it? And I think it's almost like, I think there's so many cities within that project already. I think one is a bit, you know, driving the future. I mean, Neom also means future. So, so it's, you know, bringing all sort of the most creative minds, the most creative tech companies there to really like drive that sort of innovation. And that's really, I think, what they want to do. And I think from what I understand, I think Neom is going to be very different. I think there's a question that potentially alcohol would be allowed. I think there was also, I saw some things that they were going to put all the transportation underground. So overground, mm. it was all just nature. I mean, it's just amazing. Like anything you can think of that is new and innovative, I think they're bringing to Saudi. They're basically building like up on the West Coast, this huge, huge futuristic place, like more than a city, huge. And they're going to have this and they're making it all like in a sustainable way and having all these like eco like manufacturing complexes, but on the water, weird thing. And then they've got this line, haven't they? What's the line where they've got this huge, what's that? Have you seen thing called the line? I don't know, but I know about the building sort of like as part of it as well. They're building like a, a big sort of like ski resort because there was yeah. a lot of advertisement on the, on the skiing. And, um, and you can really, I mean, you can really see that the tourism drive is out in force. I mean, yeah. every single exhibition that had to do with travel that I've been to in the last six months, Saudi was mm. the main sponsor and they had the most incredible stand. Mm. I mean, like even at Expo, I think Saudi won best stand because they really went like above yeah. and beyond. So. And I've even seen recently on English TV, middle of Emmerdale, like an advert for Saudi it crops up now. I noticed it. And I'm like, what? I think it's, do you think it's anything to do with the fact that oil will run out and they're wanting to create another way of funding the country? And they're trying to make, turn it from an oil focus to a tourism focus. Is that, do you reckon that's their plan? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I think it also would have been a shame if all this stuff yeah. would have been hidden for so, you know, like nobody would have been able to go and see because people just didn't know it was there. So I think it's quite right because people want to see new destinations and you mm. experience a new culture and, and why not? You know, like the hospitality yeah. is there. So I think you just have to build the infrastructure and yeah. educate people. I think this is the big thing. People yeah. just need to know about it. So... And do you think a lot of this has been driven by the Crown Prince, who's the one that's sort of come on yeah. under his um, father, the king, and he's the one that's made a lot of these like really great changes, legal for women to drive, there's now cinemas there, and he sort of drive. I think a lot of this is his sort of, I think he's about my age, I think he's like in his late 30s. Yeah, 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 to late 30s, correct. Yeah, correct. and I think a lot of, um, since he's been running things, which has been for a while now, that's when the country's really moved on. So yeah. um, change is good. No, I mean, totally. I agree. And um, I heard a panel a few months ago and they were talking about, they were all sort of like the guys that were looking after Neom and Red Sea Project. And one of them actually said, he said, you know, the Crown Prince is very clear on one thing. If the quality is not there, then you need to walk away from the project because we don't want to build something that in two years time looks as if it's been there for 20 years. Yeah. So I thought that was actually really nice, you know, because it's yeah. not just about doing everything and, and, you know, encouraging this mass tourism. It's more like, let's see what else we can do, how we can develop this to make it work for everybody. Well, it's a 2030 vision, isn't it? So they're not rushing this, you know. So, and they, and they can't, it's massive. And I think if you, go, if you go on Google Maps now, you can even start to see 
the developments of Neon. Oh, you can. And you know, if you're on a plane to Saudi, they've now yeah. put it on the map. You can see nice. it on the map. Yes. So. Yeah. So it's obviously some people are like, yeah, but is it happening? Is that well, you can see it's happening. Look on Google Maps, you can see the building. And like you say, so it's not just all talk. It's um yeah, and you know the doing it's always been going on for for years, but the fact that it's twenty thirty, you know, it feels a long way away, but there's a lot to do. And it assures me if they said I'll be open next by next summer, that's immediately where well, that's gonna be crap and short lived. The fact that it's a got a really big long run up in this and taking it like very seriously. And what you said before, I've heard that as well, where they're being ever so selective about the people involved to make sure that it's like the best that will work, that is gonna deliver, you know. Um and they're not often Arabs aren't one for um over promising and under delivering like everything they do is ever so wow all the time from the level of uh, hospitality and all the rest you're not going to turn up and be underwhelmed by anything that they're sort of doing out there so um how cool is that going to be we should yeah like come 2030 glass champagne on some rooftop somewhere in neon totally totally absolutely that'd be really cool it's not that far from the uk because the flight's not very long no and the time difference isn't mental either yeah which is nice Where's your favourite place in the entire sort of Gulf, if you were to sort of like get on a plane tomorrow with friends? Ooh, I think, you know, very tricky, very tricky. I mean, I, I would say my two top contenders would be Saudi, because there's so much to see, and um, Qatar, because again, there's a lot of development there, and there's so many new things in Qatar that I saw when I just got there. I was like, wow, like this has changed beyond recognition. And it also gives you a bit more, I feel like with Saudi and Qatar, it gives you a bit more of the flavor of like the real Middle East, you know? Mm. I mean, of course, Dubai, but I feel like Dubai is almost like, I don't want to say European, but it almost is like, you know, everybody goes there, it's fine, and people have been there, but like, it's not the same with Saudi and Qatar. I don't love Dubai, I'm saying it. Like, I'll pop in, I'll pop in for a weekend for work, but I wouldn't go on holiday to Dubai. Yeah. Well, unless you, I suppose if you're desperate for some guaranteed sun in November, whatever. But, um, once you've done a beach bar and a brunch and a rip pool on the roof, you're kind of sort of done, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and like you said, because there's so many really interesting places around it, you can just pick somewhere far more interesting. Okay, so where in Saudi would you go then? Where's your favorite place in Saudi? That's a good question. I mean, definitely in autumn, I would definitely go to like Riyadh season because it's quite cool and there's just so many things happening and they have so many pop-ups. But then also Al-Ula is very high on my list. Mm. I really want to go. I haven't been yet. uh, So I I really want to go. But I love Jeddah as well. I thought like the relaxed vibe of how they were doing stuff in Jeddah, it was really, it was great. So, and I mean, of course, then, you know, once Neom's all up and running in the Red Sea, I mean, you kind of have it all. You kind of yeah. do the history, the art, you can lay on the beach. So what's not to love? <laughs> and what's cool about being up where Neom is going to be is on the coast there, you can see Egypt. Yes. You can literally see Egypt. Yeah, it's a mental. If they ever sort of create any kind of connection between them two, which is not like beyond the realms of possibility with what they're talking about. Of course. And you can transport like the um tunnel like the uh, tunnel to france here yeah it'd be incredible wouldn't it yeah and then i guess you could do everything no you could also go to egypt then and do the pyramids and do like yeah. almost, like thing in one trip which is kind of cool really cool well there yeah. we are so that's loads of things that people wouldn't have sort of realized and that's the thing it's just like it's not just a place to go for work it's not just a place it's just, it's just a place people should put on their list put totally. on your list Check it out. And even if you do have the opportunity to work there, go work for a year, see what you can, save a load of money, you don't pay tax, pop it in your bank, come back, buy a house. 
No, totally. But also like while you're there, I'm sure you get a few days off here and there. Yeah. You know, go and use the opportunity to explore the country because there really is a lot to see. And even when you're in Riyadh, you haven't got to go far to go um, quad bike in the sand dunes. But like just cool stuff. Again, you wouldn't even sort of think was was there. Yeah, 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 totally. Absolutely. There we go. So highly recommended by you. So that's what we want to hear. Highly recommended, totally. We'll obviously link you and tag you when we put sort of put this out. But Karina's like very, very vocal and visible on LinkedIn, which I love. So if anyone's interested in this kind of stuff, come and follow you because you put such interesting stuff up. So there's always more stuff to learn. Any questions people have got, they can come find you. And then, yeah, so thank you ever so much for coming on once again. I'll drag you on again in about a year's time. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that. fine. Let's, let's keep doing it. Why not? Why not? This Why was not? so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thank you so much. Hello, Sally. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? Good. <laughs> Tell us where in the world you are at the moment. I'm in sunny Cornwall at the minute. Very nice. Are you in the UK much? Yeah, I am. I think since COVID, things have changed a lot with, you know, my job. And yeah, I'm, I'm all around your, um, the UK a bit more, where it used to be all around Europe. It's actually nice, though, to see different bits of the UK, whereas, as I say before, I wouldn't have been here so much. But um, yeah, it's a, I love the UK. It's one of my favourite places. <laughs> you know what? Like, us Brits just moan the entire time about England. And then you go on a holiday. I've just got back from Florida. And everyone like, would love the chance to come to England. And then, like you say, during COVID, we travelled a bit of England as well. And you take it for granted. Like, there's some bloody little gems around here. There's some amazing beaches. In fact, one of my favourite beaches is down here, Pendow Beach. And when I say that to my friends in London, like, what, are you serious? Your favourite beach is in Cornwall. I'm like, have you ever been? Well, yeah. don't look it, you know? And it's the thing is, it is a bit of a mission to get here. You know, it's five hours on a good day, whereas in five hours you could fly somewhere south of Europe, you know? Mm. I get that. But this is on our doorstep and yeah. it is here and it is drivable. And at the minute with flights as they are, I think we should count ourselves pretty lucky, you know, to have it. <laughs> exactly. And we do get many, but we do get some nice days. So you catch a good, nice day. Dreamy. Exactly. Exactly. I know, look, there's nothing we can do about the rain. Just get on with it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So tell us a little bit about what you do then. So I am a full-time DJ now, predominantly events DJ. That involves weddings, birthdays, corporate. I have residency in Mayfair at a restaurant bar called Novikov. I've just actually finished one residency called Giroux as well in Mayfair, which was on Fridays, but now it's kind of busy season. So I can't give them my Fridays. And then I'm also a part-time model. But since um, the lockdown has all kind of been, we've all been freed, it is full-time DJ now. Everybody wants parties, everyone wants to celebrate and they have budgets, they want to get their friends together. So some of them are just kind of an excuse to have a 40th when they were 42 years ago. So it's a delayed birthday party. So yeah, so I'm a mainly UK-based DJ, but I also do travel. Fab. Um, well, that's way cooler than what I do and what most people listen to the podcast do because we all work in the private sector, which I suppose is the world that you're often in because you're often working for the kind of clients that we work for also. How did you even get into it? So uh, I was 17 when I had my first turntables for my birthday. Bedroom DJ for three years. And then I played my first club when I was 20, which was number one, Dover Street Wine Bar. And I was on vinyl then. I learned the hard way. Played vinyl for probably three years until I got fed up of fighting my way through nightclubs with two flight cases of heavy vinyls. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of went digital after that. So Yeah, nice. Very cool. 
I mean, I've just turned 40 last month. So yeah, 20 years in clubs. Yeah. 20 years. Wow. I can't remember last time I went to a club. <laughs> They're just exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where has your career taken you over the sort of 20 years then, sort of so location-wise? Europe. So south of France, Spain, Italy. Oh, I can't remember what year it was. It was when the Champions League final was in Moscow. And I was uh, Vodafone's main DJ. Sorry to travel oh. with Vodafone. And I think that was one of the furthest places I've been with my job. But back in the day, you know, I was probably, I only really been DJ for like six, seven years, I think. So I was mid-20s. That was quite a hairy place, actually. It's um, one place I wouldn't forget. I wouldn't mm. that. But I mean, I love Cannes, South of France, Saint-Tropez, Nice. I just travel where my clients need me to go, really. Yeah. Uh, I was in Sicily last week for a wedding. And then... Of late, I was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Not a place that was on my bucket list, but it was a job. So I went. This is exactly why we want to get you on, because we're talking to lots of different people, different people about different things about Saudi on this episode, because it's so misunderstood, that country. And I never even knew anything about it. I started doing a bit of recruitment there. We went over there. It's such a cool place. And so my absolute like role in life now is to make re-educate the world on Mid- on Middle Eastern countries, culture, people, etc. What were your preconceptions? I've got to admit, I personally didn't know enough about it to have any of my own opinions on it. Mm. It was the opinions of my friends around me who were saying, oh gosh, be careful if you go there. You're a white Western woman. You won't be accepted. You have to cover up. Don't let them touch you. You know, that's not right. Do you need a bodyguard? Are you going on your own? Are you sure? Who are you going with? Who's the job for? Do you know anyone there? And I've got to admit, you know, when you've got that many people in your ear saying all this kind of stuff, you are a bit like, gosh, mm. should I be worried? You know, um, am I going to take on people's perceptions on this? But it's also people who have never been were saying that. And, and I thought, well, I know the event company I'm going with. I've DJed for this company for 10 years. They've been building this stage set out there for quite some time if it wasn't safe they wouldn't be there and I trust the company so I was kind of you know brushing all these comments aside you know I mean my family and you know my boyfriend know that I'm pretty level-headed you know I'm not going to walk around in a bikini you know it's it's Mm. just I knew the rules before I went and you know you were dear by that so not even reluctantly I was really excited to go actually and to mm. see a, a new place. And I didn't realise how amazing that place was going to be. Mm. Um, oh, gosh. It's, I was mind blown by it. And so many of my friends were texting me, are you all right? Did you get there okay? Are you safe? And I'm like, guys, what the hell are you on about? Does this, <sighs> you know, and, and I said to them, the fact is, you haven't been, so you didn't have the right to say that, you know, and a bit mm. like, oh, all right, fair enough. The people are so friendly, the locals, and I, I met so many. I mean, Uber is an amazing thing out there. Mm. <laughs> I met so many local people through the Uber system and spoke a lot to them about the preconceptions of the westernized woman going there. And so many, and a lot of them are kind of older gentlemen. They laughed and said, isn't it funny that people think that we're really bad and we're not, you know, we're really friendly. We welcome you. And we know that things are changing, but even pre the change, you know, the women being able to drive over there now, we weren't a cruel race. You know, we weren't mean, mm. we wanted people here. 
And it was so nice to hear their take on it. And you almost felt rude to engage in conversation about the preconceptions of what we thought and to say, oh, how wrong we all are, you know. And I, you know, I said to so many of them, I'm going back flying your flag, you know, to the UK, to my generation and younger generations, or even like my parents who, you know, obviously set in their ways, if they're perceptions about it. So it was nice to come back and see a different side to it. I mean, there's so many beautiful things about it. I mean, I know that there was no drinking there. And that for me as a DJ was a wonderful thing. I really mm-hmm. loved that. Obviously, you can find bits if you want, but you don't. You respect it. And and that's their culture. And I think that was really important to do that. And so for me, that was a really nice thing of 10 days I was there for, you know, not, not to drink. And there's something really spiritual in the air there. I'm still trying to describe it to my friends and I still haven't quite found the words. There's something very pure about their aura there, if that makes sense. It's, mm. it's so hard to try and describe it. For me, one thing that I think brought it all together was when they do their prayers over the city antennas. And it doesn't matter where you are in the city, you can hear the prayers. And that's being cast out over the city. So in that moment, you along with thousands of other people are listening to that same thing. And for some reason, I find that it binds you all together in that moment. And I just found that really comforting to know that you were all in one place at the same time. So there's something quite nice about that. You know, obviously, like living in London, everything is very separate and there's no community and people don't do the same things or bind like that. So I really liked that. I found Jeddah itself not the prettiest of cities, which was surprising because there is a lot of money there. But then you get these most amazing bits of architecture and people's houses in their own little walled kind of area, their, their land, their next to it is no man's land. So it was really interesting to see the beautiful architect of architecture of people's ho- homes and then nothing next to it, like no man's land. So mm. I found that quite an amazing place. And I did go shopping. I bought my buyers just in case I needed them and my headscarves, partly just to blend in as a white blonde tall woman mm. and I wore it when I went to the mall it didn't make any difference with the headscarf I mean it kept falling off so by the end I was like okay let's just keep yeah. that on and we'll just you know wear the cloak no it didn't make any difference nobody was no. looking. there was I didn't feel uncomfortable by anybody nobody stared nobody made anything uncomfortable people were helpful and so that was also another preconception of oh we've got to go to the malls and cover up and yeah, you respect that. You're not going to go in a short skirt and strappy tops. That's fine. But there mm. was years when we didn't do that in Dubai. You know, we don't do that in Marrakesh. So that's all right. Just respect those rules. And there's nothing threatening about it whatsoever. You know, I had just so many things on my own. And yeah. that's why I decided to stay out in Jeddah for 10 days rather than flying home in between. Because I did feel safe there. I've got to say, it's not the place really for holidays. Work-wise, man, I cannot wait to go back. I can't wait to yeah. go back for more work. That's so cool. Did you go to the beach? Yes, I did. So so I've been to various places in Saudi, but not to Jeddah. And I want to go to Jeddah to see the beach. Yeah. So they have, I think they've got a couple of beaches. The one I went to three times was La Plage. Mm. And it's out past the marina. It's it's kind of 20 minutes really from the main kind of central bit of Jeddah. And like eight quid in a cab, you know, it's nothing. It's amazing. So you need to take your English passport to prove that you're British or you have to be invited. So it's not open to locals for you know rules of religion. A great beach, the water, it's the Red Sea. It's so warm, the water. Mm. And one particular day I was at the beach, it was 49 degrees. Oh, I mean, 
I have never been in heat like that. You know, I've never done the Australia in the summer. In fact, I've never been to Australia, full stop. So mm. to go to somewhere like that, it's like, oh, this little girl from Leicester is really struggling with this heat. <laughs> to be at the beach where you could be, that was actually really nice. Yeah. I was at the Crown Plaza and we had a pool at the top of the ho- on top of the hotel and that was a westernised pool. So you could sunbathe there as well. There are a lot of pools that you can go to, but some of the hotels aren't westernised yet or they'll have male pool, female pool, or if they have one pool, they will have female times when you're allowed to go and not the guys. Yeah. So you've got something to bear in mind with that. But there are definitely places that are westernised, you know, to, to yeah. go to place. You know, and <laughs> so many friends said, good luck finding a bikini there, because obviously I didn't really take one, thinking I couldn't use it. Mm. And of course, you know, the pool and the beach. So in the mall, of course you can find a swimsuit. Of course you can, yeah. find, of course you can find sun cream. It is all there, <laughs> you know. So, you know, off you go shop a few bikini, the beach is great. Really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I find that in the mall. Firstly, you would not know you were anywhere other than England in the mall, which is a complete normal mall. And then I was surprised because I walked past and there was like, it wasn't Anne Summers. What was it? It was like a, just a lingerie shop. And the la- the sexiest of lingerie in the windows. Absolutely. Lacenza was there. Oh, they had, I mean, some French lingerie shops. And even I was like, Oh, oh, yeah, that's quite risque. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think we did kind of put those outfits in the windows in the UK. I know so, that wasn't, but also that it says on you know on the sign only families, so guys can't go in there on their own, which I find quite interesting as well. But it yeah. is there, you know, it is. I mean, as far as Anne Summers goes and the other side that Anne Summers do, I didn't see any of that. Mm. But you know, lingerie, yes, yeah, it is available. I also made a mistake in the toilet. So I went to the toilet with a female colleague, went in there and I went to the toilet, shut the door and it was just a hole in the ground. And I was like, this is really weird. So like, took my trousers, like managed to like squat. Anyway, I came out and I was like, that was so weird. She was like, what are you about? And, but there are no, she was in a normal toilet. If I'd have gone down, if I'd have just gone down three more cubicles in normal toilets, I think they're for, I don't know what they're for. Are they for ladies that are in full of bite that just have to like lift up or something? And can... It's just squat and drop type thing. <laughs> yeah, squat and drop type thing. So I think there is a squat and drop option in the yeah. toilets, but you don't need to use them like I did. You can just find a normal toilet. When I landed at the airport, there was those kind of toilets with no loo roll, but a shower head. I'm like, yeah, oh, I can't deal with this. I'm clothed, shower, yeah. Squirt all over the place. Yeah. I'm going to come out looking like a drowned rat, you know. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> you know where I've been. But otherwise, I didn't really see the hole in the floor toilets. There are normal toilets. But also, you go to France, so you drive to Austria, they've got the same toilets, you know, hole in the yeah. floor. So that's kind of nothing weird. I mean, you know, the hygiene reasons, because there are showers, I think that's actually a little option, you know, got off the beach, yeah. wash your feet, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, I actually like, didn't phase me. I found that quite normal. Yeah. And what I do find them over there, they do have female toilet attendants. They don't have the male. And I think over here, when they do have the male guys, and it's just you and a guy in a toilet, I find that quite comfortable in the UK. Yeah. Like, do you mind if I can do my stuff in peace without? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas over there, I like the rule that they only have female attendants in the female toilets. Yeah, nice. And then how did you find the sort of work itself? It was for Jeddah season. So we opened the Royal, uh, not the Royal, sorry, the Yacht Club over there so it's in the marina a year ago none of that was there so they've built this whole marina and Jeddah season is um it runs I think it's for like six weeks it's quite it's a really big city festival there's fireworks every night that fill the sky there's all sorts of acts entertainment to go and see various places around the city so but this particular one was the yacht club and 
they were hoping to launch it at the beginning of May, but then it kind of kept getting postponed. So it ended up being the end of May. But a beautiful yacht club, pool there, like serious sailboats that go in there. They really advertise their sporting for the boats. Not, not just kind of like a little tuk-tuk boats. You know, these are serious sports. So we did the launch there. The Royal Family were there. And it was just a beautiful event. The stage set was, well, like the pyramid stage, actually, at Glastonbury with 60 laser lights. And they really went to town on it. They really pride themselves on the celebration of what Jeddah Week is about. So a lot of effort. And also with that is... It's quite westernised because of the entertainments that they have. It brings the families in, you know, and even the first night that I was on the decks, actually in the marina, I was a bit like, oh gosh, I'm on the decks. Everyone's dressed up, you know, with headscarves. I'm not wearing a headscarf. Obviously, I was wearing a dress covered up. And it was amazing that all the families wanted to stop and watch and take pictures. And the elder parents, the grandparents were smiling and enjoying it. And it was really nice, a nice community that had that westernised feeling of it. Not that I think they need to be westernised, but they were modern in their ways of the way that they appreciated the entertainment for Jeddah. Yeah, lovely. Beautiful. You know, just a really nice vibe. Really, really encouraged people to come down and embrace it and to have a look and get involved and doing experiences in like these little submarines. And it didn't matter where you were from. They just wanted you to come and be involved and share their excitement for it. So, yeah, nice. Wasn't on your last night, you, could, you even were able to wear something even more. Like, because yeah. it was so hot. I mean, I was DJing on a stage. So I did ask the kind of head of the organizing team, like kind of beyond my client, can I wear just a kind of, I've got basically a silk dress, you know, strappy, little halter neck thing. But I could have put a scarf over my shoulders. They said, yeah, that's okay. You know, and I was on stage. So I think if I was walking next to families of tradition, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. But on stage where I'm not directly next to them and men can't get, you know, or women can't get too close. Or it wasn't, it kind of became impersonal, so it was fine for me to do it. But yeah. I did ask, obviously, and fine if I had to cover up. You know, it's just 35 degrees at night. It's blooming hot. <laughs> Honestly, I can't even, I think for me, the heat would be the biggest issue. We went in January and it was like lovely, actually. Um, but I just got back from Florida now and like, that was really humid. And that, that was like early 30s, but really humid. And you think, and I've obviously been to Dubai and some of stuff. And like, you get to these 40, 45 degree heat in the day. And it's like, you can't breathe. The nice thing is Jeddah has a quite strong wind. I call it wind yeah. over breeze. So yeah. that is really, I mean, oh, look, I'm a white bird from Leicester. I struggle with 28 degrees yeah. in a normal European country. If there's no wind, Forget it. I can't even do 28. I'm happy with 23. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Going out there, I was like, God, I'm really going to struggle with this. But you soon acclimatize. It's amazing how you adapt. But as I say, with the winds there, it really cooled you down. And nice. I have never drank seven liters of water a day. And that's <sighs> all you wanted to drink. Even if there was alcohol there, you don't want it. You know, so you're just constantly drinking water. And it is all you want because you are just, even, you know, you're just sitting there. You're still sweating, right? You know, you're just, yeah. you're but you do adapt. It's been yeah. 10 days, you know, when the last, last night I was on the stage, I was like, kind of okay with this, you know, yeah. like I was on the first night. And it is such an amazing thing to experience as well. You know, I have never drunk that much water. I've never been in heat like that. I have never been 
to a country like that where I was so surprised at the warmth that you got. There were so many I nevers in that place. And that's what I really loved. And I came home with, I came home feeling like a new person, like really connected with that place. Nice. Came home very zen, very relaxed. Yeah. And it's not just because the no booze. It was just that place that there was a little bit that I left a bit of my heart there. Oh. There was just so many I nevers. And I just really encourage other people to go, forget what people say to you and just ask, have you actually been to Jeddah before with Saudi? Because if you're not, maybe keep your opinions to yourself and try and go yourself. It's an amazing work opportunity. Amazingly, it's safer. I felt safer there than I do in London. Walking through London. Yeah. I, who would have thought? But it's true. So I encourage anyone to go there and just experience a little bit of the beauty of it. As I say, more in a spiritual way than necessarily the beauty of looking at the city. There is a lot, I think, that we can learn from a place like that. Yeah, so true. So are you keen to go back to Jeddah or are you keen just to see other places of the country? Well, I'd like to visit Riyadh, but I think when it's their hot season, it's really dry heat. And I think I would really struggle with that. Um, I met a group of guys that have been working over there for a year and they've just said that it's just so dry. You get the nosebleeds because it's, it's so fiercely dry in Riyadh. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'd like to go, but maybe not that time of year. Yeah, I would like to travel around. I'd like to go and see the old town of Jeddah, but it was quite a long way from where I was. So we didn't really have time. I would have liked it because that's their tradition. It's so, and yeah. I saw pictures of it and it, it's not going to somewhere where they're old town and you're not welcome again. It's you are, it is a tourism place. So yeah, I would like to go. I think there's a lot more to Jeddah that I didn't see, but you're kind of limited when you're there with a group and you know, you're there for work. There's another city just up the coast and it's, I can't remember the actual name, but the abbreviation of it is called Cake. I'll Google it anyway. after somebody, but they call it Cake. And one of my, in fact, one of my best friends, my neighbour, she works a lot out in Saudi for events over there. So she's been going for years. So she knows it quite a lot, a lot better than I do. And she's also seen the changes from having girl, well, women's buses, men's buses. So she told me quite a few places as well that I should go back and visit. So yeah, hopefully Saudi will have me back as a, you know, kind of, Westerner female DJ and uh, I can go and see more yeah it's also so easy now to get your visa I think you literally do an online form and pay like 200 quid yeah and it comes back like 10 minutes yeah and it's for I think it's valid for 60 days my one was Mm. quick book me again (laughs) yeah lovely fab well that was really nice to have a bit more of an insight because a lot of people we speak to are all within the private sector so i've spoke to lots of people before who've worked in the palaces and been butlers and been housekeepers and all the rest which is great but it's really interesting to see someone doing something different to say like no honestly it is like this even in this world it's like this yeah so that's like really useful so um thank you for coming on thanks yeah, well, I'll let you know when I'm back in Jeddah. <laughs> Next time you're back in Jeddah, I'll come and see you play. You're amazing. That'll be so cool. Cool. Well, thank you ever so much for Thanks your time. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you once again to both Karina and Sally for joining us. Thank you very much. It's just nice to speak to different people, isn't it, who do different things, whether it's in our sector or whether it's in the countries in which we work. So nice to talk to people outside of the sector for a change. Hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you all found it interesting. Um, If you are inspired and would like to go visit, do. Even better, if you'd like to go work, do come through us. Come and check out our website. We have, I said, a Saudi team here, team of uh, people here in London office that specifically recruit for our properties in Saudi. 
Saudi. So um, get in touch, um, have a look at the website, it's all on there, we have a Middle East page, um, whatever it is you're looking to do, um, predominantly obviously butlers, housekeepers, we do chefs, uh, childcare, we do spa, um, drivers, there's a large number of uh, management roles on there. So. Have a look, um, let us know if you're interested and we will be able to um, do an interview and talk you through uh, the roles in a lot more detail. So that aside, we have roles all over. As you know, if you're looking for staff equally, come and get in touch. You'll find us at silverswanrecruitment.com. If you want to get in touch with me directly, it's Philippa, 1L2Bs, philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com. Um, thank you very much and I'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Cheers, guys.